This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 489, brought to you by Geek Nation Tours and iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy Pick of the League podcast, episode 489. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and that's my co-host, Josh Flanagan. I am so excited to be here today. You excited to be here today, Connor? Yes. <laughs> Always. We, we are a fanboy. We like comics. If we can read a bunch of comics, one of us picks their favorite book, sometimes mere hours before showtime. We call that the Pick of the Week. Are you suggest? I thought that when I sent it to you. I thought, oh, he's going to be. It wasn't that I hadn't read that. It's that there were 8 million books. No, I know. I just was glad I had read it, so I didn't have to worry about having to fit it in. We talk about those other books, other topics of interest, fun stuff, listener mail. It's a good time. Spoiler warning. It's a review show. There'll be some spoilers, so exercise some caution and some common goddamn sense. (laughs) Goddamn sense out these people. Josh. Yeah. It's interesting because I read this Mm -hmm. book that was the pick of the week. And I thought, wow, that was fantastic. Oh, good. But then surely the pick of the week will be section eight, number one. But what was it? Uh, the pick of the week was starve, number one, from Vertic. Nope. From Image <laughs> Comics. <laughs> By the way, I just want to start with, this is starve number one from uh, Brian Wood and uh, Daniel Zeze. Um, right. And Dave Stewart on colors. Just right. in case, there's a that's a that's a good team right there. Yes, and and I keep looking at it going, oh, it's Vertigo because it it just it reeks like Vertigo. vertigo. It yeah. looks like a Vertigo book. Daniel Zeze was the he was like a, a Vertigo house guy basically yes. for a while. He did everything over there. Um, and <laughs> and th- like this is the final nail in the coffin for what Vertigo was. It's Will it Dennis feels very, it gone? feels it feels like uh, DMZ. Yeah, yeah. Big so. Vertigo. I saw it and I thought, I don't know if I want to read that. And then I started to read it and I thought, I don't know if I really like that. And by the end, they go, I really want to read the next one. It was totally <laughs> a progressive uh, read for me. And and you're right. I was 98% sure that, that uh, Section 8, which we will talk about uh, later, uh, number one, was going to be the pick of the week. Um, but at, at the when I was looking at all my books, I read some really good books. There were, there were, yes. other, there were other contenders uh, easily um, <laughs> that, that we could be talking about. But... I, I, there was something about this book, the combination of elements uh, that I really liked. So, what is it? You might be asking. All right. So, we open in sort of a, I guess, like a sleazy Thai bar or something like that. And there's a degenerate, druggy, drinking dude somewhere in Southeast Asia, and he's gambling and and uh, hanging out with with a bunch of lowlifes. Uh, and he's like, I love it like this. And then somebody shows up, and they say, You have to come back. And then you find out that he is like the uh, one of the world's preeminent celebrity chefs. It's um, like Anthony Bourdain. Even looks a little bit like. Yeah, him. and 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 his show Starve, title of the book, um, has become increasingly popular since the world fell apart. And that's the other part that's going on. This is like near post-apocalyptic this is when new york city does flood and the economies <laughs> all collapse um and there is still a a uh, a sort of upper class that has money and then a lower class cast that has nothing um which is a terrifying prospect of reality that does not seem all that fictional and so what's really funny about this is that 
you know, the cover is, it's called Star Wars. The cover is a guy with a, with a knife and there's knives and a logo. And he, now knowing what the story's about, he's clearly wearing a chef's jacket, but the colors are inverted. So I didn't recognize that at the start. But so when the story opens in this, this expat Americans living uh, low in Southeast Asia and, and then the helicopter arrives to pick him up because he's got to come back. That's like the start of every super spy story, yeah. right? So you expect he's got to come back to assassinate someone or to save the day, but he's a TV celebrity chef and he's got to fill out his contract for the show he's, he, he did. Well, and, then the, the, and if all that was it, and, 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 and it was good, it was well done, and I think, I think we can accurately say Brian Wood is a good futurist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this is like takes place just before DMZ, maybe not necessarily even a different world, but it's definitely similar. It's that kind of world, yeah, that so, kind of future. But then the other half of it is that is that there's this thing with his daughter, and I really liked the emotional resonance that that was in there. And I know that Brian Wood has a daughter, and he takes care of her, and that's like a a thing for him. And I think you're seeing that come through in the work. Um, and I have a soft spot for that. I thought that was a like, really nice. Like he just sees her and he's like, I, I, why have I done, why have I screwed up on everything? And it's really nice to sort of see the father go, well, that was stupid. Like that was a horrible move. And so that with his horrible ex-wife, <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with his life. I don't know anything, I don't know anything about it. Um, uh, you know, it's a nice- there's a lot of great layers here. Yes. There's, there's the fact that he, he, he came out of the closet, which is why the divorce happened. So there's that aspect to it. His old friend who is his daughter's godfather is now his chief rival, who took over his show when he disappeared and was presumed dead. And uh, now he's got to come back to do this show for eight more episodes that is all about, um, you know, making exotic foods for the richest of the rich who are the only people left in the world who have anything. And uh, so in the episode, the show starts, and he's got to cook a dog. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, there's just a lot of interesting things going on here. And the art is just amazing. Yeah, you can count on JJ. Yeah, and I learned how to say that officially, like at the Vertigo office. I was like, how do I say that guy's name? Zaj. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, it just—it's really evocative. There's a lot of heavy shadows and colors, but he and the Dave Stewart colors are great because the colors are muted. D- Dave Stewart really like he—he he really pulled it in. It's all like all the pages are sort of kind of a monotone. Yeah, um, a lot of yellows and oranges. Um, one but, one thing I know is that if you want a color, if you want a page that is mostly one color, but then there's a lot of gross red blood on it somewhere, <laughs> Dave Stewart is your man. If you want to put right. red that's striking in the middle of your page, that's the guy you want to call. Right. Um, so it and it looks wonderful. I, as I said, he bears in sometimes a slight resemblance physically to Anthony Bourdain. Not not exactly, but there's a couple of panels where I thought it looked a lot like him. But he's kind of that, that. I, I kind of that type. He's the roguish yes. sort of bad boy, does a lot of drugs, drinks a lot, so tall, skinny, gaunt in his mid fifties. And uh and now he's gonna come back we'll to eat anything. We'll eat anything and enjoys all the sort of street food and and stuff. So I really I got that kind of vibe from to him. Me, as, like he looked like a like his visually he just looked like a Paul Pope character. Right. That, so well, they got the long hair like yeah. that. Yeah. So that that that's. Uh, but I totally. He had all the the Anthony Bourdain things. Um, who did a book for Vertigo? So again. <laughs> but uh, this was really good. Yeah, really, good. really good. I, I finished this and I went, "Wow, that's fantastic." I I don't even think I realized it, but the like I by the end I liked it a lot, and then I thought about it more when I was trying to make a pick. I was like, "Oh, that's the that's the one." That's. It was. It was. Uh, so that was really nice. It was. Uh, I like that. I, we've had a nice little uh, surge from Brian Wood lately uh, of, of some good material, which is very fun. Is it Gavin or Gavin Cruikshank? Gavin. Gavin Cruikshanks. Cruikshank. Cruikshank. Gavin. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
It's a fun name. So the odds-on favorite uh, was going to be would have been Section Eight Number One. It's actually All Star Section Eight Number One. Oh, is it? It's, it's, it's the latest in the All Star line. Well, that's oh. Okay, so let's all right. Let's let's explain what this is because I think <laughs> most people is, don't know. Most people don't know. Um, uh, there was a series from DC Comics proper called Hitman. It was uh, written by Garth Ennis. It was drawn by John McRae. Um, I don't have any idea how in the world it existed. Uh, well, it, was, it was the late 90s, and, yeah. in, and that's in, most of the books DC put out back then. In the DC universe, it existed, yeah. for God's sake. Hell, um, Hitman even showed up in Justice League. Yeah. Um, so, uh, there was this uh, team of superheroes. <laughs> they're, they're good guys, called Section 8. Um, oh, God. With, with such... <laughs> Such uh, people uh, on the team as Bueno Excelente, who who, f- who fights who fights evil with the power of perversion. Uh, Flem- <laughs> creepy, creepy perversion. Uh, bueno. Flem Gem, who who uh, who who, fl- who spits phlegm on people. Uh, the Defenestrator, puts through a window. Uh, Jean de Baton de Baton, who is a Frenchman. <laughs> the Baton. The dog welder, who welds dogs to people. Friendly fire, who who would never hit what he was aiming at, and uh, shakes, which is the most probably the most. This uh, <laughs> guy has seizures. It's so funny. It's is I, this book would never fly now. No, no. Um, I know what I've I've started to understand why Garth Ennis doesn't get the work he used to. I get, I get. It. Um, in much the way that Jerry Seinfeld said he doesn't want to play colleges. Anyway, uh, yeah. and then Six Pack, uh, who is their leader, who is a regular at the bar. Uh, in in the book, which which ran sixty seventy issues something like that, um, and Six Pack is a very drunk person, but he he styles himself a real superhero and he goes on team ups with Batman and Superman in his mind. Um, anyway, so I guess this is a spoiler, but I don't know how much it's going to affect any. They all died uh, in Hitman, and so maybe that's why this is All Star. Um, so basically, in this. Uh, uh, um, well, they're they're they're, they're all dead that's in this true. issue except that's for Six true. Pack. Yeah, that's right. Six Pack uh, has to get the team back together, but they're all dead. So well, except for except Bueno and the dog welder. He well, does, it's, they, a, it's, a, it's a new dog welder. Oh, isn't right, because he's black. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a great panel where he looks at the new dog welder and he's like, "Why aren't you?" <laughs> and then they Didn't just you? move on. It's very yeah. nice. Um, <laughs> Come to think of it, weren't you? <laughs> Oh well. Uh, so he gets all new people, and th- you know they won't be as funny as the other people. But I'm glad that he kept Dog Welder, uh, <laughs> because it's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing ever. Well, it, I mean, this is book is not for the easily uh, outraged. Yeah. Um, no. And also the the sensitive to c- superheroes. I mean, one of the themes in Hitman was that Garth Ennis doesn't, you know, really hates, really hates superheroes, and so. You get these wildly out of character characterizations of the Justice League, and in this one, Batman shows up, and this then, made, yeah. me, made me laugh heartily. Right. Um, in that, so Batman, so Section Eight needs eight members for for whatever reason, because there's eight in the name, and and, and Six Packs only got seven. Section Eight, famously, the reason that you were booted out of military service because of uh, uh, mental instability, mental. Right, and there's something coming that he is six, uh, that Six Pack has seen a vision of, and he needs to get the team together to fight it. And so he gets seven guys, but he needs an eighth, and he, and he, he stumbles out of the bar, and it just, just so happens Batman's out there. And so he says, great, 
Batman will join the team and he goes to pitch him. And w- uh, first of all, there was some great panels oh. where six, or, uh, six Pack would see Batman in his various classic forms, like the Neil Adams uh, drawing and Kelly Jones back break, uh, 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 Jim Aparo, um, Robin Death. Uh, yeah, uh, I was like, these, and they were they're they're note perfect. Yeah, they're really great. And so then. <laughs> But while he's talking to this six-pack uh, Batman, who had stopped at, the, at an ATM to get some money, uh, gets a ticket from the cops. And I just, it was just so, so And he threw a, he threw, he pitched a fit. That's the <laughs> just, other part. That's the part that, that is, is the best. It's just, it's just it was just funny. <laughs> it was. I bent over backwards to help you people. You people, huh? Yeah. What? You people. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I mean, it's completely, completely out of character. Yeah. Were you saying fly. that you have a sense of humor about that still? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was harder to deal with when I was younger yes. and more sensitive about it. Uh, now it's silly. Uh, as long as it's funny and not yeah. mean. I mean, it's all mean a little bit, but as long as it's, it's funny, that's okay. It's another. It's funny because it's another side of superheroes that he's just like, well, what would you think if you were on the street and you were one of these worker day guys? And that's kind of what it is. Like that's the way that Ennis has always looked at superheroes. And I wouldn't want to read superheroes written by Ennis all the time, but every once in a while he does, and it's it's a it's a it's a fun take. And it's very consistent, also. So I mean, I think if I had any any qualms about the book, is mm-hmm. that it just kind of you know it, it happened really fast. I was like, oh, yes, it's over. It and so uh, there wasn't much there. I think it's only a six-issue mini or something. Yeah, which is... I'm amazed that this exists. <laughs> um, this is the original team who did Hitman. Um, as you read that over the course of it, you'll see McRae's art um, really turn into something special. Um, and he's got like his full powers here, but he definitely is working with a different style. He seems to be one of those guys who evolves over time. But, uh, I mean, if you've read ever read uh, Garth Ennis talk about it, like he loves these characters. Um, and, and it looks... It's just like... It's just crazy fun to read them. I'm sure it is crazy fun to to, to write them. Um, so this is going to be big wacky fun. In dog well, order. it's it's just like I don't want to say it's easy, but if you drop, I'm just thinking of the original section eight characters, not the new ones, because we don't really know them, know them yet. But to drop those characters in a room is really kind of easy to write that scene. Super, and it is. Listen, it's not because they're fantastic. It's not necessarily highbrow comedy. No, it's not at all. It's, but it is also at the same time. And I, and I, don't, I don't know how he walks that line, but he does. Ennis um, used to do a lot of humor stuff. Do you remember Adventures of the Rifle Brigade? Yes. Uh, which was, I think it was Vertigo. Uh, it was like a, a, like a wacky British uh, military group. And like he'd do stuff like this a lot. And uh, he's very funny. Um, he is per- very funny. Perhaps well, not entirely modern sensibility. Well, funny. you know, Preacher was fun. Everything he's written has had humor yes. in it. He's, he's a funny writer. Yeah, he is. So uh, that was enjoyable, but you're right. It did all of a sudden. It was over, and you're just like, "Oh, yeah." I I I don't know that I expected more from it, but I think I wanted more from it. So I think I will like it as a, as a series. But that's why it wasn't pick of the week. But I also genuinely laughed three or four times. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was it was very funny. Just, it was nice. Just, to... All I did was read names to you, and I couldn't keep it together. <laughs> so, so the this, baton, the baton. this week, baton. Uh, Batman number forty one kicked off the post convergence era in which we. Uh, if you recall, in issue 40, Batman and the Joker uh, died together in the bowels or the catacombs underneath Gotham City. And, and so now we have the new bunny-suited Batman in the giant uh, m- mech exoskeleton suit with giant bunny ears. And, uh, it's, and, you know, you have to be living under rocks. No, it's 
do not know it's Jim Gordon in the suit who has been recruited by the Powers Company Corporation, which we met in the last arc, or you know, we've met previously in the book, to uh, train a new Batman and, and keep the, seats, the streets safe. So, uh, so you know, what it's, it's interesting, because what you've got is a thing where they went through and they killed Batman again, uh, and then Scott Snyder already wrote once he did Batman, who had been killed as Dick Grayson, which right. was a thing. And we have the whole, so we're doing that again in a giant mecha suit, and I really liked it a lot. That's good. I actually, I really did. I was, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want this, but as I read it, because here's the thing. I think I said this when Dick Grayson was Batman. Like I'm like, I've had a lot of Bruce Wayne in my life, mm-hmm. and so it being Jim Gordon, which seems out of character to my immediate thought, but they they made it work for the most part. They were like, you're gonna have to work out and eat better, you know, basically. And he stopped smoking and did the whole thing. It's interesting. It's it's very. I don't want to live with this forever. Right. Um. And then the the other side of it is that. I really enjoy the direction uh, that that uh, Capullo's art is going. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not the same as when he started uh, on this. I don't think. Um, and I just, I, I just, uh, I. In what way do you think that is? I, I don't know. Like it's. it's well, it's it, cleaner. It, well, that changed when they changed inkers. Yeah. Uh, Danny Mickey came on about half through the run, and the art went from scratchier to clean. So that definitely changed. With yeah, Ingers. but I even think like I think maybe that he's just like he's just toned down, trying to be impressive a little bit, and mm-hmm. he's really like like the storytelling's buttoned up a little bit. Um, there's this scene here I'm thinking of specifically. Uh, Gordon is talking to what's her name, Jerry. I don't know. Um, CEO. They're, yeah, they're looking down on the recruits, and and mm-hmm. just it's pretty simple panel storytelling, and like you're watching the fight, and I I just think it was a little more. Um, I was a little more toned down. I think it actually works better for me. Hmm. Um, I I I dug it. I enjoyed it. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what it is that they have with Mohawks. I don't <laughs> I don't get that. Um, well, it's the marine. It's the marine thing, I, yeah. I guess. Um, well, first of all, we should mention that Gordon is actually in a bat suit inside the mech. So the mech is sort of his public facing. I don't really have superpowers or lots of training, so I'm in the mech suit for the most part. But he also jumps out in some of the cool all-black uh, suits, kind of Batman Beyond-esque. But I do find it interesting, this idea that DC has been on for a long time of Batman as corporation or Batman as group. And not just the Bat family, but this you know started back with uh, do you think- Morrison's Batman Incorporated, where Batman was a global corporation of, with Batmans all over the wor- world. And we, we sort of have it here where... The Powers Corporation has is creating a new Batman in order to protect Gotham. Do you think it's some sort of like subconscious <laughs> corporate thing that's happening that maybe like Grant Morrison started? I don't know. Just like they, they somebody really likes it, so they just sort of keep going with it. It's interesting. It's I mean, really it's not my it's not my favorite interpretation of Batman. Although I did I did like the beginning of Batman Incorporated for the novelty of it, but you know, after a while, it's just kind of like. You know, I just kind of like the one man plus Alfred plus the psychic's war on terror. Didn't necessarily need. I don't need to have a, you know, a giant group of Batman. No, I agree with that too, and and I think that's that's fine. I don't know how long this lasts. You know, it, if it's you know, it, it's like any good thing. Green Lanterns, you know, all the different rings and everything. That was really cool at first, but eventually, like, okay, that's that'll do. 
you know, so I I, I don't, I don't know. But, it, but this was really fun, though. It was really fun. I, I, Bruce is in a Bruce is there in a in a, in a plaid shirt with a beard and sitting on the park bench. So he's clearly, you know, as we all knew, not really dead. And Foggy Nelson identified him. So nice. <laughs> well, he'll go to San Francisco yeah. and get a red suit. Precancerous Foggy Nelson. It is him. Is that okay? Um, I don't know that I'm not allowed to say that. Um, it, it was good though. I, I I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm. I've been. I've just kind of had enough Batman for a long time. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good. It's a nice fresh, fresh take. Um, Constantine. Speaking Constantine, of fresh takes, the Hellblazer number one. Uh, came out. This is co-written by James Tinney in the fourth and uh, Ming Doyle with art by Riley Rosmo. Um, the time this just for the same week that the show was officially canceled. I, well, that is the thing. That is the thing. <laughs> and and I, I I was I was like, is this really is this really as obviously monumentally poorly timed as possible? Because this, this is <laughs> this is the show, right? I don't know. I didn't read it. Did, oh, okay. Well, did you watch the show at all? Oh, I watched the show. Yeah. Okay. I watched the first episode of the show and I thought I, I can't watch that because here's the thing and I, I I will admit a complete bias to this. Uh, I read Hellblazer for ten years or whatever from about issue one fifty until it ended at three hundred. Uh, that was my John. I wasn't really interested in the other versions of him that came along. It wasn't necessarily that they're bad. It was just like it's just not that character that I like. It's a different version of it and it's different enough that I don't find it as interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's that's all there is to that. The show seemed to be. Uh, boogeyman of the week, and his, the thing was that he had he had ghosts falling around that nobody could see, right? Like he was he well, was, it wasn't so much that just that that was the spirit world that other people couldn't see, right? But he was basically Haley Joel Osment. No, okay. no, 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 no. Well, that's the thing in this. He's got also the show, but the show changed quite a bit from the pilot. To the yeah, pilot. I've heard that. I just didn't. And then I yeah. was like, it doesn't matter. No, 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 it wasn't for you. I'm just saying it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't quite that. And then also the one, so that th- there's that, and then in this book. Um, the art, by the way, uh, I like a lot. I think Riley Rosmo is is a great artist for Hellblazer. I think I wish that they brought him onto Vertigo. I think he would have fit in really well uh, with uh, Leonardo Manco and Marcelo Frusin and all the guys that they had doing that and Bisley. I think it would have been really good. Um, <laughs> that's a telling statement. Um, but in this, it's the TV version, or it l- I think feels even like more it. than feels the like DC it. version. Right. And he's got a short jacket. Oh, oh, oh. I was ready to shut the TV show off as soon as I saw that stupid short jacket. (laughs) Uh, And he's really young. And that's actually the part I don't like the most. Well, wasn't he really young in the Constantine series, the one before this? Yeah, no, but I didn't. That's why I didn't like it. I what I one right. of the things I really liked about the Vertigo series is that he aged as it went along. He started off young, and by the end, he was like in his fifties, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that. And you could put that rough weathering into his face because he lived a really, really hard life. And I maybe the long, older he got, the longer the jacket got. Maybe. Well, the maybe jacket, the jacket grew with him. One of the last story arcs was about how the jacket was an evil entity unto itself. <laughs> um, and then the other thing in this um, is there is a long time story point that suggests that john is gay uh not gay he's bisexual right um and it wasn't really a thing that was ever played up in the vertigo series very often i think it was remarked upon once or twice there was like somebody wrote in a thing that you could then make canon and, and have it be a thing and that totally fits you know mm-hmm. guys basically a, a bon vivant who, who who lives life his way he does whatever he wants he doesn't follow the rules bollocks to all that but in this one, like, it was a different take on that. Like, he went into a 
restaurant with a big handsome man. He's like, oh, well, what if we have here? And I was like, <laughs> like, I don't care who John sleeps with, but John, I don't feel like he, he would have talked like that to a girl or, I mean, that was actually his internal monologue, but it was just, there was a lot of internal monologue to sort of tell you that stuff. It, it just, it just, it didn't feel like my John Constantine, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I said about the other one, but I gave it a shot. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was a bad thing. I just thought, I don't know who this character is and it wasn't something I felt like getting into. Um, I, I'm not going to get over the sting of, of having that other, cause the other one was so perfect to me. So, right. um, I tried, uh, if you've enjoyed, if you enjoy the show, you'll probably like this. Um, it was pretty wordy. Uh, you should, you should start a hashtag movement. Not my John. <laughs> not all John's. Not all Johns. No, I don't believe. <laughs> no, it. not my John. Yeah, not my John. Um, yeah. yeah I, so, so I, I gave it a shot. It's, it's, it's kind of what I, what I figured. Uh, the, like him picking up the dude was weird. Like, is it? It's not. It's not Vertigo though, right? It's, it's regular DC. Uh, I have to look. I think it's regular DC. I think so. Yeah, but it also, like, it's just so weird that it's styled after the TV show, which failed. Well. And then it came out now. It'd be one thing if it came out then. Right. But what a strange... came out literally the week the show was finally canceled. For good. That's funny. After its cancellation had been bandied about forever. Um, Yeah, no, it is DC. Okay. Well, sorry. Uh, uh, But I I really do love Riley Rossmo. I think he's he's great on this. Uh, Even with a short jacket? No, I don't... He had to do that. It wasn't his fault. (laughs) But um, he's also really... He's really young looking. Right. Like he's super smooth and young, and I, I don't, I don't dig that. Well, if you think about the old book where he started young and ended old, this is the start of a new book and the start of a new John. So I'm not saying they're going to age him; they definitely just, won't. But I that's like, a, you can grab like, onto that. I feel like they're making all these changes to him to go after a demographic which does not exist, or that doesn't care about John Constantine. Right. Like you can do whatever you want to him; you're not going to grab the kids with him. Like I think they think there's some like cadre of 16 year old hot topic kids who are like oh we're into this and it's not like they they this is not a millennial friendly john constantine i don't i don't think so but uh, god fucked if i know (laughs) does he have a snapchat (laughs) i I feel like they're past that it's kicked (laughs) now so so this week we saw starfire number one another number one book from dc jimmy palmiotti amanda connor writing and andrea lupacino on art and this is the book for you if you miss Power Girl. Mm-hmm. It's basically, uh, I'm sorry, Emanuela Lupacino, Andrea Lupacino, a lot of different artists. Emanuela Lupacino, female artist on Star Girl, uh, Power, what fucking book am I talking about? Starfire. Star Girl, Power Girl, and Starfire are all three different characters. You all twist it up, mate. Uh, so, it, so this is the tone and the characterization that you got in that Power Girl book. It's a little f- sexy, but it's mostly fun and lighthearted. Power Girl, uh, Starfire <laughs> is she's now living in Key West, just you know, in Florida, just like the Palmiati and Amanda Connor are waiting for that bloodline crossover. And uh, so they, uh, she's she's found herself in Key West, and she's very much similar to the old DCU characterization of her. She's a she's a little new to the world, basically doesn't really know the customs. She exp- she explains her origin in the first two pages. So if you don't know anything about Starfire, you get the whole story in those first two pages as she's talking to the local sheriff about who she is and why she's in Key West, and then uh, the local sheriff takes her under her wing and uh, finds her a place to live and some more clothes. And What's the and new so, fat factor? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, 
it's like Power Girl or any Jimmy I, and Amanda book where there's a little bit of sexiness, like yeah, you know, yeah. she she retains the ability to learn languages through through kissing, like she had in the, in the Marvel Wolfman George Perez era. So there's that, and she's sexy. So guys, and she's you know, in Key West. And she's in Key West, so, and she's, uh, but she's I moving mean, like, a trailer park, and she gets out of the, t- the shower naked because she doesn't know people don't do that, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's there's a, there's that, but it's never exploitative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's more of the silly way, and then there's a hurricane a coming, so uh, sure. she's she's gonna have to save the day. All but right. uh, it's it's fun and it's funny and it's got that vibe that Power Girl had, which you know, Jimmy and Amanda do. And also Harley Quinn, the same kind of vibe. They do sexy, but without it being crass. Yeah, without um, feeling, well, because what I was thinking of was when it was Lobdell, I think, wrote. Yeah, she, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was when she was just a sex spot. Yeah. Right, and so that, that's what I'm like. That no, no, no. This is this feels much more like the original Power. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna make about. a jar and put it on my desk that says Stargirl Power Girl, and I'm gonna just put a nickel in it every time I talk about this book and say the wrong name. Hey, Connor, what's this fifteen cents doing over here? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, uh, Starfire was really fun. If you if you like the Harley Quinn, if you liked uh, Power Girl, if you liked those kind of those kind of books, if you're a fan of the character and were unhappy with the way she was portrayed in uh, in Red Hood, was that was the book she was in, right? Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yeah. Then uh, then check this one out because this is, is probably what you're looking for. Whatever. Well, she it was Red Hood and the Outlaws because it was her and Red Hood and and uh, Arsenal with a with a trucker trucker cap on. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. He should be swinging cats is all I know. <laughs> uh, if you know what that is, you have been around for long enough to be called. To, we would hoist one for you, my friend. Yes. Um, so if you are looking for perfect geek-themed vacation, you should look no further than Geek Nation Tours. Geek Nation Tours is proud to announce that they're returning to New York City this fall. Attend the New York Comic Con and explore the city that's home to Avengers, Daredevil, Spider-Man, and many more iconic comic book-themed locations over this seven-day store. Tour. Do you think they go to the Sanctum Sanctorum? They should. We went there. We did. They should watch our show and go to those places. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and look how young we are. They're even going to go to Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash Noise in uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey. And Granted, you have to go to New Jersey for that one. So that's yeah, true. There will be a bridge and or a tunnel involved in. Get that. your shots. I did not say that. I did. All you have to do is have a good time. But comics is not all they have. No, no, no. There's 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 more for the for the other kinds of folk as well. Geek Nation Tours offers great tour packages like a journey to the Middle Earth tour where you will head to New Zealand, the world of Lord of the Rings. There's the Zombie Apocalypse Training 101, which is perfect for Halloween, or the Walking Dead fan as you travel to Atlanta to see filming sites uh, and, and, and with hands-on survivalist training and more. You can learn throws. And Ooh. I assume that they will give you devices which you would then remove the head. Or, or like, maybe live, make you live in a tent mm-hmm. with a dude with, a sh- with guns and knives, and yeah. you get to make fire. and A surly and, lady with a sword. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can go on the Galaxy Far Away tour, um, because you may have missed Star Wars Celebration in beautiful Long Beach, California this year. Uh, no, Anaheim. Uh, but, but next year, <laughs> it'll be in jolly old London. Um an area where where Alan Moore himself seems to, claims to have met John Constantine himself twice. That's the thing true. I learned. That's true. It did happen. He did yep. claim that he claimed that he was made manifest. Mm-hmm. Fun um, times. I you know I tell you just I'm going to divert right here. I really want that to be true. <laughs> There's no like there was no part of me that was like yeah whatever get off it mate on your bike those You're are like, those are please. pretty strange. I totally want that to be a thing. And even if it's not like I want 
him to have experienced as it a real thing and believe it, and I'm totally fine with that. I and I do no judgment. So maybe you should go to London to see about Star Wars and see if you can meet John. All not my John. All these things and <laughs> many different tours can be found at geeknationtours.com so you can book your geek tour a today. So this week we saw the finale of Chrononauts, the fourth issue, which really could have been four and five because it was a double-sized issue. Six bucks. Six for six bucks, but six bucks worth of content. True enough. And uh, this issue ended the bros in space or time story really, really I thought, rather perfectly. I mean, if it, the tone of the story has been sort of bros in time, and it's just the way it ends. And I thought that was fun. And I really... Really want to see the movie version of the final battle. Yeah, um, it was fine. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't like the last beat. I thought it was a little like sitcommy. Um, and well, yeah, but I thought that was sort of the tone of the story. I guess uh, the only other the only other thing I would say about it was that I I just I, this all there was a ton here, but it actually felt really rushed. Like like it was moving around super fast and zipping around, and and the hows and whys weren't so important. It was just an excuse to sort of draw a bunch of different stuff, which I, it is fine. Cause he drew the Sean Murphy drew the hell out of this. And I liked everything he drew in it. Um, all the different kind of warriors, all the different cars and, and, and I like the beginning weapons. where, so the last issue ended with our two heroes, uh, subdued by their, their soldiers who, who decided they're going to take the power for themselves. And so then the people from the future or now have sent back Tommy Lee Jones to, Save the day, and his they ended up in in back in six million years BC with the dinosaurs or sixty six million years sixty five sixty five million years, and uh, his whole crew is taken out by a T Rex, and he's but he's got he's got the radio and he's he's still got the suit and he's gonna go back and save the day and he gets stomped on. Mm-hmm. I just like that the opening beat to sort of uh, subvert your expectations. And I I I I really I think the strongest part of this issue was does the bit where they just kind of throw him to the dogs and and he goes you know I'm a genius. Yeah, and then he, he's like, "I'm not going to be- get beaten by a dog," <laughs> and then after that, it was just it was just ass kick until the end. Um, I really, I just liked using that the smart guy, you know, yeah. kind of thing. I, I thought that that worked really well, and that he used then he you know he used it for good. I don't know. I just feel like they could have played it uh, out a little more and maybe a little differently. I liked the beats of it, but I don't know that I love the execution of it. But I feel like it's a romp. At the end of the day, this is a romp. Yeah, right. It's so it's like uh, they're going to have the not biggest my romp. Punch. Not your rump. Not my rump. Hashtag. I hashtag. get it. It's hashtag not your rump. Uh, this week, Silver Surfer twelve, and uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is the last issue. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You going on the record for that? I'm like, going. I'm going. Do we have a record? I don't is there? Know. I'm. When you're looking yeah. at the last page, is it like the board is broken? Like he's dead. And we were all Silver Surfers. Galactus ate him. And you're like, <laughs> I think this. There's nowhere they. And at the end, it said last issue. We'll never see you again, folks. And then we're like, I think I'm gonna make the call. But we're not gonna look. Well, because here's here's the here's the thing. The story ends. It says the end, and then you turn the page, and it says next issue, last day of the Silver Surfer, the Secret Wars. So I don't know if there's gonna be a Secret Wars tie-in with him in the Battle World. Listen, I don't want to split hairs with you, son. But, but uh, I don't consider that. When it says next issue, <laughs> it says the end. You just made the call that it was the last issue when it says next <laughs> issue. <laughs> it's not and my I last think, issue. I think this is where we have a problem. <laughs> I, I, I'm. I just. Uh, we're gonna. We're gonna try to work things out and pin it down. I think right there is the thing you want to look at. 
it's not my next issue, Josh. I understand. It's, it's so in this. T- <laughs> What's been fun about this book is not just the Mike Allred art, but is that is that this has been just as much a relationship comic as it's been a superhero story mm-hmm. about uh, Silver Surfer and his uh, lady friend Don Greenwood, who they haven't actually had any kind of overt romance in this issue. They are living on a paradise planet. In, in the previous story was the Silver Surfer saving all of the refugees from all the planets that the Galactus ate. They had all been living together on one planet, and he accidentally brought Galactus to that planet. And so then he brought them to a new planet at the end, and we find out here it's a paradise. They're all happy, and Silver Surfer's going fishing, and he lives with Don Greenwood, but they don't. But it's platonic. Uh, but they clearly have feelings for each other. Um, but then you find out this planet's some sort of is emitting a drug that makes everybody imagine their their paradise, and it's bad. But uh, Starro. At, at the very end, we finally get they finally have their kiss. They they recognize their feelings for each other, and that sort of ends their. It sort of ends this romance story. It's been 12 issues. It's a nice round number. If there's indeed a Secret Wars tie-in, uh, I'm going to consider that outside of this story, okay. which end, ended very perfectly. Okay. So there you go. 12 issues. So if they put this out, these 12 issues in a collection, there you go. I realized saying last issue when it said specifically next issue is outside-the-box thinking. It's, it's, it's a bit suspect. However, you can't, you can't you know, make new ideas without blazing some trails. Um, I have a short review of Ultimate End number two. Okay. What the fuck is this? I don't know. Okay. Like it's this is basically why I stopped reading all the Secret Wars tie-ins and just read the main book because I find that these tie-ins don't make a lick of sense. In the beginning part, they're in the Doom world. Okay, yeah, I get that. I know that, and then they're back in the Ultimate. What? what wait. Yeah. I don't. What? The the eternal logic of this is is not working. Like, there's actually some sort of nice character moments in this, but they're all... I don't know where anything fits in it. It doesn't... I only... I, I stopped reading the other tie-in books, but then this is the end, this is the end of the Ultimate Universe, right. which, is, which I've the, been in, invested in for 15 years, right. so I wanted to read this to end it out, but I don't understand what I'm reading. No. I guess you don't end Miles Morales' story because his story doesn't end, but that would have right. been better for me. You know? yeah. I'm just, I feel like the best thing to do is just pretend like this is just happening in the Ultimate Universe and they're all stuck there. This is, this is, it's an explanation for the sake of an explanation, which I don't right. like. I don't need it. I don't care. It, it's, they've done it before, and it's, it's never... I guess, I guess what you could say is the Manhattan Territory in Battleworld is, in fact, actually the Manhattan of mostly the Ultimate Universe with some sprinklings of the 616 Universe in See, it. See, I don't know that that is the case. I don't know that that's clear. Well, I'm only Doom I'm only getting, in Manhattan. No, but Doom rules over everything. Right. I'm just looking at the little map in the front, which says Manhattan Territory, and it says you know, if there's two Baxter buildings, and there's an Ultimate's hideout and an Avengers mansion. But then, like, Aunt May is there, and she's the exact same one. Listen, like, I get it. It doesn't make any sense when you think about. It Doesn't make any sense. And for more and than not, five minutes. Not the strongest Bagley art. <laughs> well, he drew it in five minutes. I I get. Let's that. be fair. I get that. Like, you draw twenty pages in five minutes. Yeah. Uh, see how you do. Given this. See how you see how you like it. Um, you did it during an interview. Yeah. So uh, I want to I want to fit one thing in here that I didn't before. Um, yes. Because I know. Uh, 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 and I know there's one more after this. I I wanted to mention uh, injection number two. Mm-hmm. I do not believe uh, that we gave it a very good review for the first issue. No, no, no. You you liked it a lot. I, said, I didn't. I said I liked it, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I wasn't like I wasn't sure yet. I was like it wasn't bad. I just didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this issue shaped up what it was a little bit more. I still don't really know what it is. I got a better idea of it. But outside of that, uh, I think that this is this is. Uh, I, I said that Declan Shalvey put on a clinic for comic book storytelling. Hmm. There is a fight action scene in this thing, uh, and it is yeah, that's a good scene. It's exquisite. And then there's another scene prior to that, which is just where this the Sherlock Holmes type character, this guy named Viv. Uh, it's a lot of facial acting and stuff and mood tone stuff. Right. Uh, it's really like it's really it's some of the best work that 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 he's ever done. And obviously, uh, Jordi Belair and him have an <laughs> excellent working relationship, and and it shows like they're doing bang up beautiful work. And that that fight scene was like they should teach that. Yes. Uh, in comic book courses, it was it was that good. Also, that cover is spectacular. Uh, he's I think Declan is my new favorite guy who draws clothes in comics. Okay. I like his wrinkles. Okay. It started with Moon Knight. And then on this, I'm like, oh, it's a nice, nice suit. Um, so this week I was reading Saga 29, um, and I was like, what is going on? Who are these people? What is happening? I'm very confused. Mm-hmm. There's a dragon with a giant penis. And I got to the end, and I was like, am I going to have to move the trades on Saga? I don't know what's happening. And that's when I realized I forgot to read 28. I was going to say, because I had none of that. And you know me, I'm very confused. Yeah. And so that was my that was my user error. I, and that was when I realized, oh, oh. So, so, are you willing to just go out and say that you're pretty sure this is the last issue <laughs> of Saga? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, two people are dead at the end, so <laughs> at, three people died in this issue. No, a lot of people died. It was good. Yeah. That dragon they, had a big penis. A dragon, then a dragon sucked his own dick. <laughs> well, he's like, you know, we had big balls mm-hmm. before on the giant. Now it's time for a real big cock. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I need to read 28 to really okay. see how I feel. I don't know if you need to bother now. Well, I, I kind of want to bother. I don't, I don't know what's you, going on. I'll tell you what's going on right now. Some sagaing. This is some saga stuff. To get into the saga part. Yeah. Space fights. Space, it's, it's a lot more action-y. Dragon Otto Felicio. <laughs> I just know that... He like, was going a, to town. I just know there's a script somewhere that's like page three and four. Double page spread of dragon sucking his own dick. Period. <laughs> page six. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fast script. And and this guy is revered as a comic book writer. He, as he should be. I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but you're gonna tell me there's. It feels like there's some uh, there's a conflict there. It's 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 very good. It's still very good. Fiona Staples is still excellent. Tell the people what morons we are. <laughs> so we, we've made it very clear in the course of the last 45-odd minutes. If people don't get it now after 10 years, I don't know what more you want me to say, Josh, but I'll tell them that usually at this part of the show, we tell you to go to fanboy.com slash Amazon or fanboy.com slash registration. Unbeknownst to us, there was a page on the website, fanboy.com slash support, that's got all of it on the same page. So let's just go there, one, at the, one page for all of your needs. How many and I Fanboy.com slash support. You think two? What is this page? Fanboy.com slash support. That's where you'll find the Amazon link. They'll take you to Amazon where you can make your purchase. We get a little piece of that action. That's also where you'll find a membership button where you can become a member for three bucks a month, thirty bucks a year. And that's also where you'll find the PayPal donation button where if you're a crazy billionaire who has a couple dollars to, you know, for tax purposes, you need to get rid of some cash. That's where you can drop it. So uh, all of it is available at fanboy.com slash support, where you can go to support the show. See how that works. That makes sense. We are stupid. If anything, that's what we've proved over the years. I, I, and we're not. We're not fine with it. I don't. Yeah. 
<laughs> it was not a good day when we found that page. What the? F- How long has this been here? I guess you know what though. There's a certain kind of man who can't admit his mistakes. Oh, we made it. That man is not us. <laughs> I don't think anybody's gonna say those guys aren't humble. Actually, no people have said that specifically. So uh, let's let's do some audience questions. Yes. Uh, Sam from South London. England, UK, interested in your comments about Star Wars 5 and 6 and the need to, quote, do something in these stories. That's me who made that comment. As opposed to running in circles and not make fundamental changes. Seems to me that you both tend to be on the other side of this debate where female Thor's bucky caps and Batman, Grace and Batman are concerned. The line I feel you've taken is that a good story is the priority and the change can be good even if it's only temporary. Obviously, it sounds like you don't think these are necessary stories, but I'd argue that the craft is not out and out bad. Cassidy's face is notwithstanding. I'm with you, Sam. Uh, so I wonder if, after a dozen or so hours of really good thinking, it's, uh, no, it's, it's adequate, you might consider your own advice pertinent uh, or whether Santa Solo is significant, substantially different from Thor was fine man for 75 years, stop ruining my childhood. It was fine as a man for 75 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that too. So what he's doing, he's basically opposing of his, uh, accusing us of hypocrisy, to which I say, yeah. Yes, Star but I also, I also don't agree that they're the same kind of characters for me. So for me, Thor, is a, Thor from the Marvel Comics is a comic character first, and Han Solo is a movie character first. And Thor has been around in weekly stories for... 50 years, 60, I don't know how, I don't know how, 60 years. 64, so. So he's been in a story every week for 60 years, and he's going to continue to be in a story every week for however many more years there's comics being made. So his stories will be told in a different way than a character like Han Solo, which to me is a movie character who has appeared in three movies. Short bursts. And will appear in possibly three more movies, and that's it until they recast him, and then it all goes out the fucking window, and I lose my mind. But... Uh, for now, he is a character who's been in two, four, six, seven, and odd change hours of entertainment. So when you make a change to that character, that's much more substantially different than a character who has been around for sixty years and will continue to be around for sixty more years and be changed and unchanged and and lose his, and get his face scarred and unscarred and have a beard and not a beard and be a th- frog and then a horse. And so, so to. That beard really was the thing that put us over. So uh, to boil this down, basically, you're saying that there seems there to us, and I think I'm agreeing yeah. with you. I'm there, not, I, there is an inherent difference to the state of a regular superhero comic book character of of a Marvel or DC as opposed to a a movie character who is who is uh, basically been the same. Right, and, and short I'm not, appearances, and the same because he's only been on the screen for seven hours, and I. Yeah. And not even seven hours, right. you know, but, uh, and I wouldn't care if, cause like I didn't care about the Dark Horse stories, but if only Disney and Marvel hadn't made such a big deal to say these stories matter to the movies. Yeah. So if they didn't say that and they were just stories that Marvel was telling, I wouldn't care. But mm-hmm. I don't, you know, that's my only reason for caring because he's a, he's a character that is very finite for now, for anyway, until they recast him younger. He's very solidified. I mean, that's, yeah. like, that's, that's. That's a little like changing our religion. Right. And I, I fully cop to, you know, a level of sacred. I Which is interesting because last week was when we talked about last week, you were on the side of they have to do something on these stories. I'm not taking the, I know, but I'm not taking the comic book seriously. I actually agree yeah. with you in terms of that, but like, I, I don't have to take, like, we don't have to, you make your own canon, basically. 
Yeah, no. I'm, uh, look, but if these, if these stories have nothing to do with the the movies, which is then which is a good, there's a good chance of that. Then totally fine. I don't care. I don't care. I also I do think that I, I you know I I think it's a feint. Oh, probably, but I haven't I didn't read it, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can only go by all the press releases and articles and re- reaction people had. But I I will admit that I think this probably I'm probably exhibiting a level of da- double standard on this. Um, sure. And and you gave a reason for it. I have no idea if that's actually valid or not, but it sounds fine to me. Uh, no, but like those those sort of state changes are the nature of of comic book heroes. You know, Batman, Batman changes. That's the right. the beauty and the flexibility of the character. When Han Solo doesn't act like Han Solo because he's a real person. He's Han, he's Harrison Ford. Right. You see him. You hear him. You know him. And if he's not that, you're like, that's weird. And I can't even get over it with uh, with John Constantine. So, right. Um, I don't know. Some characters, uh, okay. Some. Right. If, if Han had been around, has been around for forty years, and there's been different actors playing him, and then whatever, and interpretations are interpretations. But this is you're talking about a guy who's been played by one actor for three movies, so it's a pretty solidified character that's got a standard. It might. That's my take on it. Doesn't have to be your take on it. But I know. <laughs> we got another one, pal. I'll see you in hell. Is it pal or Paul? It's probably most likely Paul. I probably messed that up. He's a pal. pal from England. We're going to call him pal. Hey, pal. You're going to be our pal. Pal from England says, with the Eisner Award nominations this year, it would appear that there's a general sense of negativity, bias, against new series nominations going on to gain continuing series nominations the following year, which largely seemed a logical progression. This seems glaring when you look at the previous year's new series nominations, High Crimes, Lazarus, Rat Queens, Sex Criminals, and Watson and Holmes, none of which have gone on to be nominated for Best Continuing Series this year. Breaking it down, High Crimes and Watson and Holmes, both of which failed to proceed beyond their first six issues, and Rat Queens, t- uh, which took an enforced five-month hiatus after the highly publicized issues with Upchurch. This leaves Lazarus and Sex Criminals. Both of these series, I would argue, have gone from strength to strength, and their nomination to Best Continuing Series, uh, their no- non-nomination to Best Continuing Series seems odd. This seems particularly puzzling when Best New Series nominations this time include Astro City, Bandit, The Walking Dead, all justified perhaps, but haven't really pushed hard in the accelerator from the previous year, and Southern Bastards, which surely should be amongst the new series nominations, and deservedly so. And so, what, I think what Pal or Paul see, fails to realize is that every year their judges are different. Comics are very, yeah, and they're also very transy. Like, like, I well, I mean, but it's hard. Different people are making the nominations every year. So what one group of people like in 2014 will not necessarily be what the people in 2015 like. The other thing going on is that a new series is not necessarily a continuing series. Although it's interesting, if you look at the 2014 nominations, uh, where is it? Um, I've got them here. One of these years, there's like a, a new series is also a continuing series. But anyway. Yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. The thing is like, okay, even if the judges were the same. Mm-hmm. So... In 2014, 2015, Hawkeye was was nominated for Best Continuing Series. We can put aside the craziness of the fact that maybe one issue came out each year. But uh, so a new series doesn't this like the, the the continuing series are still going on. If they're still good, then they still should be nominated. Sure. So just because a new a, a book got nominated for Best New Series doesn't mean it's going to automatically outclass a book that's already been going on. Like Saga has been nominated the last two years. Should any of those? Best Continuing Books knock Saga off, off of its nominated perch? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on your point of view. But my point is there's, all, there's tons of books going on, and in, in those books you can find five or six worthy of nomination. Just because there are five new ones doesn't mean you're going to knock out the old ones. Nowhere Man's not a continuing series, is it? 
no, I think it was a. Uh, it was ended early. That's the problem with comics. You don't really know what's. But that's the other thing. Like these, these terms are not finite. Like, uh, like what's a continuing series? Everything at Marvel is ending. Everything at DC just kind of ended, but weren't rebooted. But before that, they kind of didn't end, but they were rebooted. And especially now, when they don't, they don't like to announce what is a limited series because people don't buy them. Right. I mean, there's the best limited series category, but right. that that tends to be for. So maybe for it's that the 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 Eisners are using outdated, outdated. terminology. Yeah, or at least it's not consistent with the way that the market is actually working currently. But it's also—I mean, here's the thing: like, it's all a bit. Uh, it's all subjective too. Yeah, and it's just a bit fuzzy, and things don't quite fit in the boxes, but they fit them where they can because those things deserve some recognition for whatever reason. I think high crime. Right, and, I, and again, at the end, the limited series. At the end of the day, like. Uh, you you got a new group every year, so you can and you can tell their their tastes. You know, you'll see very heavily in one kind of book sure. one year or next year. You know, there's one year where there was hardly any superhero books, and the next year there was a lot of them. And you know, it just depends on who who's the judging team is every year. I mean, and uh, I would go. So I was thinking about this 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 week. Like, I mean, we we exhibit that. Mm-hmm, I mean, totally. I think if you look over the years, what sort of became the pick of the week, and it there's there's a class of creator. There's a group of people that we lean towards we're not leaving other people out but there's things that we like and like a lot of the people that we liked five years ago were all doing superhero books and now they're all doing their own thing at image like all of them (laughs) like a couple and so we're reading that stuff because we developed with them to a certain extent and so that would mean that if we did awards they would be different every year uh, and we do awards every week. Oh, we used to. We, but we used to do it at the end right. of the year. We used to, again, those would always change. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, but so imagine, so even with the same people, they're changing. So you're then switching the people all around. They're going to be completely inconsistent. And I think it's just the nature of the game and don't let it bother you. Yeah. That's where I've come to with this. Trying to make any sense of the Eisner's will make you go crazy. Yeah. Or it's, any awards, really. Sub- it is totally subjective. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's subjective, and the nature of it, of the way they do it with the rotating judges, makes it even crazier. At least in like the Oscars or the Emmys, it's the same voting body every year mm-hmm. with new with new members. But at least, you know. But then again, that leads to the same things winning all the time. Yeah. You know that leads to your your, uh, your thirty rock. Not that it didn't deserve it, winning five years in a row. Well, let, right? Let's say two and a half men, if we really want to. <laughs> right. So that just there's pluses and minuses to each to each system. But yeah. uh, don't don't go nuts. Don't go nuts. Don't go nuts. Don't, so the, listen, pal. Uh, that's all I had. That was it. <laughs> Email us at contact.fanboy.com or call our voice by line at 888-FANBOYS-326-2697. Tell us who you are and where you're from. And if you call us, keep it around 30 seconds. Nothing to plug. We've got about five weeks till Ant-Man. There'll be an Ant-Man podcast when that happens, I assume. I have yet to meet a human being that's excited for this movie. <laughs> I can't imagine that if you got in a room with Paul Rudd and you were like, how do you feel about this? He'd be like, oh, it's going to be great! And you'd believe him at all. <laughs> uh, I know people who were at the Marvel premiere, the Avengers premiere, and he was there and he looked completely shell-shocked, I was told. Yeah. Well, so, uh, but uh, we'll have one of those for that show. That I mean, I'll, we're going to see I'm going to see it. Josh may not see it, but I'm going to see it. And, uh, I really don't want to see it. They don't see it! No one's holding a gun to your head, Josh. Something about San Andreas. Um, <laughs> head over to iFanboy.com. No, head Come to the movie theater and go see San Andreas. Talk about this week's books. We can, we can, no, never mind. Talk about this week's books. Find all the other podcasts at iFanboy.com. You can follow us at Facebook.com slash iFanboy and at iFanboy on Twitter. 
And individually, we are J.A. Flanagan and at C.S. Kilpatrick. What I want to know is when you go over to the website and you make a like, is there, is there anyone out there who really likes this new Constantine? Like, is anybody like, I really didn't like it before, but this, I, I really dig this and I'm into it. I've been reading it all for years. I want to know if that person exists because I don't think they do. It'll be interesting to hear from them if they did exist. It would be. And I don't discount you. I just want to know if you exist. You, if you like this show, uh, you can go over to iTunes. You can leave us a review. You can rate the show. You can do that. Uh, better yet, use the power of your voice on the uh, social media available to you and uh, help spread the word. Or even just uh, you tell a guy. You're at the bus. Stop. And a man next to you is saying, uh, a long time ago I read this I read this comic book I like a lot. And you go, yay, you know what? I know I know these guys that talk about comic books. You're going to like this show. Do that. And if that person is your mom, she's wearing pants. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if that person is your mom, so much the better because you should tell your mom about stuff too. Uh, that would be awesome, and we thank you for doing that. That is all for this week's show. We thank you for listening. I had fun. Yeah. Did I you have fun. fun? I did. I did. Dog wilder. <laughs> it's so offensive. It's it's so offensive. He's just making fun of French people in a really old way. <laughs> he has he has a stripy shirt and like 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 leggings and a beret and a little mustache. It's just it's xenophobia against the French from from a from somebody from the UK. Oh boy. <laughs> so, until next time I'm oui. Boy no. <laughs>